Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for another episode. I have a brand new guest um, who I've been getting to know off air here for about 20 minutes. There might be an opportunity, Jill, and I've alluded to this in, um, in the past, actually, to do like a like a, a bonus or a premium membership for the Boca Podcast, and we let people listen in to the pre-recorded conversations, <laughs> get the juicy yeah. details, the, the inner totally. conversations. But needless to say, um, I'm it's a privilege to first of all have you on the podcast. Um, it's been great to get to know you a little bit better off air, and with our listeners now, I want to get to know you further, and not only introduce you and your business to the Boca Podcast community, but also share your experience with leveraging debt for your business. And this is a conversation that's not really had a whole lot. And many times um, the conversation tends to go one direction. Uh, I want to share your perspective, a bit of a unique perspective today. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But at the podcast, we normally start off with a question about brand position and this will be a great opportunity to, to get to know you a little bit better, too. So set the scene for us. First, tell us where your business is based, what market you're in, and then tell us what you're doing to set that brand apart. What what makes you different than other photographers in your market? Yeah, so I'm based in Denver, Colorado. I, You know what? As far as brand position, give me all the quote unquote, awkward couples, camera shy couples. I, I love posing and directing. I'm really good at that. And I'm really able to shine when somebody really feels like they are not photogenic. They, I don't know why they think that. And it's so funny because I don't know, I'm just, I'm able to blow their mind when they finally do see the photos because I can pull out emotions from them. Yeah. It's not going to be like a really stiff cookie cutter picture that's like really foreign to them. It's going to, they're going to be able to see their quirks and their charm um, in the photos. Yeah. I don't know why I really love the the people that call themselves camera shy uh, or not. <laughs> <laughs> you, you take it on as a challenge. Yeah, I think it is a challenge. It, it's pretty easy to photograph somebody who loves to be in front of the camera, but yeah, it's, I just love the reactions uh, I get from somebody who says they hate the camera and then they can finally have photos that they love. Well, first of all, I have to say that based on your Instagram feed, which I have pulled up here in front of me and your website, uh, I, it's hard to believe that these people are camera shy. And I guess maybe that just speaks to your ability as a photographer. For those of you listening in, if you go to Jill Hauser, just like it sounds, dot com 
or Jill Hauser Photography on Instagram, and we'll link to both these in the show notes, you can see this beautiful, beautiful work. By the way, props to you, Jill, for actually having your social media icons at the top of your website page, not way at the bottom where they have to go search for it. Uh, that for whatever reason, that is not a normal thing these days. And it, huh. it's amazing to me when social media is such a big part of our marketing efforts that uh, most photographers don't have them at the top. So I had to throw that out there. But uh, beautiful, beautiful work. Is there something in particular that you do to to kind of help them relax? Or maybe a couple of things that come to mind that you do to help them relax. And does it start with the engagement session with most clients? Or do you most of your clients, you just you photograph them for the first time on the wedding day? Most of my clients get an engagement session, and I would say that really, really helps them to get comfortable with me and trust me. A lot of people say that it just made them so much more excited to have me there for the wedding day. And on the actual wedding day, if we haven't done a session, there's so much more like natural emotion that it's it's really easy to pull that out. Sure. Um, But how I get them to kind of relax, you know, I think... Part of it is that I'm awkward myself. And so <laughs> so when they meet me, they feel comfortable. They're like, oh, okay, well, she's more awkward than us. So <laughs> no, I, I do a lot of stuff with movement. Okay. I have them run around and jump. And I, I kind of learned a lot of tricks from videographers over the years. So yeah, anything with movement will look a lot more natural and make them feel comfortable. It gets their adrenaline going. Yeah, I love doing engagement sessions in the mountains uh, on a hike. And by the time you get to the top and you've hiked for a mile plus, like it's hard not to smile. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or pass out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or pass out. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, you're in such a beautiful location and I'm looking through these pictures on the homepage of your site. It's these scrolling images and and a lot of them are taken in more nat. In fact, I think all of them are taken in natural settings. You talk about movement and there are two pictures that, that come to mind. I mean, I shot weddings for over 10 years and I'm certainly guilty of using um, at least one of the two of these, uh, probably on multiple occasions. But when you have, uh, when when I think about moving pictures, I think about the bride and groom walking many times away from the camera, which just seems so unnatural to me. Um, mm-hmm. The other one that I see a lot of time when I think about movement or have in the past, I don't think it's quite as popular as it used to be, is the jumping shot, which yeah. I realize can can garner some really great expression uh, because everybody's like, this is hilarious or this is stupid or ridiculous or whatever. But um, what what do you do when it comes to movement? I mean, I see one picture here where this guy's got the bride thrown over his shoulder, literally, and she's laughing, which I think is brilliant. Um, but are there other things that you do that create natural movement that don't seem forced, like where somebody would look at the picture and be like, I don't normally do that, or they wouldn't normally do that? Uh, like the prompts that I give? Yeah, prompts, the things that you, when you talk about having them move, what would you say to them in order to encourage movement, which then results in a more natural picture? Basically anything that that they did as a kid, <laughs> like I've even had people like leapfrog, which, you know, not all this stuff works in a dress, but people will still try it. Yeah. So. Which results yeah. in that laughter again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting, though. Things that they would do as a kid that, that just naturally brings out joy, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know what? Some of the prompts that I give when they're doing it, it looks awkward. So I'll delete those photos, but the after effect of what's happening makes them laugh so hard. Those are the ones I keep and give them. That's cool. Well, what I'd like to, you know, we talk about brand position here on on the podcast quite a bit. I'd love to see a tagline like right under Jill Hauser photography. 
the photographer or the wedding photographer for the awkward and camera shy. Because, I mean, it, it, and you laugh, but but you've really communicated an idea here, which you don't hear most photographers talk about. Most photographers talk about relationships or, you know, spend a ton of time talking about the food that they enjoy eating or whatever it is that there are tendencies and trends right now in our industry. But the idea of clearly communicating a brand position, this is the thing that I do that is unique, that actually makes me different than the other photographers out here. Not only that, I, I am the only one out there communicating this particular idea. Maybe it's an idea that somebody else has also implemented in their business, but they're not actually talking about it. If you're the first one talking about it, it seems like you're first to market and you are actually unique to the market. And I, I think it'd be brilliant. The photographer for the awkward and camera shy. This is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and this is good perspective for our listeners, too, as they can continue to consider this idea of the brand position. Um, it's been a pretty big topic here on the podcast. But let's talk next about advice um, based on your experience. So how long have you been in business as a photographer? I have been official since 2014. Okay. So about five years. You say official. Were you photographing before that? Yeah, I did a few weddings a year since 2006. Oh, wow. Um, but didn't think I was going to go into it. I was terrible. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how to use a flash. So half the photos were dark and blurry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, weddings was not what I wanted to do at first. I actually wanted to be a forensic photographer in the beginning. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, that's, uh, that is how it started. It kind of went from one extreme to the next, huh? Like the right? somebody Death who's to dead life. to like, yeah, the, the most alive that you could possibly be on yeah. uh, in your in your life. But um, is there is there a particular experience that you had, or maybe just a lesson learned, let's say in the last five years, uh, of being a professional photographer that you would want to share with a fellow photographer? Yeah, I think niching down is really, really, really important. I can't tell you how many photographers who were my mentors told me to get rid of all the photos on my website that weren't what I wanted to do because I I knew, you know, in 2014 that I wanted to do weddings and engagements, but I had on their travel and families and newborn, all this stuff. And so many photographers told me to get rid of all that stuff. And I didn't, when I finally listened to them, great things happened. And something I read in Donald Miller's story, Brent, I'm pretty sure this was in his book, Yes, was that people burn calories when they're like trying to figure out something on your website. Yep. And if they have to burn too many calories because they're confused by what it is that you offer, they're just going to go on to the next website. Mm. That's a really interesting point. And, you know, honestly, this is something that I've even had to kind of argue with my team at Photographers Edit about because I am a I'm a simplicity freak. I if, if it was my choice, you'd have like on the homepage of our site at Photographers Edit or for the Boca podcast, even, you know, just the, the logo and a few words and maybe a, a call to action of some kind. Click here to place your order, whatever it is. But it seems as though it's almost a trend to put as much information as possible in the scrolling format so that somebody comes, you know, most people are probably looking at the site on their phone. So they get there on their phone and they're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And there's this endless amount of content and words to, to read through and to sift through. And like you said, at the end of the day, if, if, they, if they scroll through for even five seconds and they don't know exactly what it is that you stand for, which by the way, is part of the reason, again, that we talk about the brand position so much, um, what you stand for and what it is that you're offering that's unique, 
then then there is a likelihood because of people's attention spans these days that they just move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad that you highlight that. I mean, how drastic a change did you have to make in your website when, when you were like, okay, I'm, I buy into the idea, I get it, I'm only going to show the images that truly represent what it is that I want to do. Did it take you a little while to go through and cull through your portfolio in order to make those changes? Were you able to do it right away? Yeah, it's, I, it took me a while because I didn't, I didn't want to take the travel stuff off because that was the stuff that I was the most proud of. Uh, But I mean, it was true when I finally took all that stuff off, people finally saw me as a professional wedding photographer. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a great example of something that we also talk about in the podcast quite a bit, which is that we have to kind of set aside our personal preferences sometimes for the sake of practical, logical moves for the sake of our business. And, and again, this is such a great point. I'm so glad that you bring it up. We have to be clear about what it is that our service, our brand represents and what service it is that we offer. And the clearer that we are, the easier that we make it for people to understand that, um, the higher potential for being able to convert them. So thanks for highlighting that. It's such a great lesson. Good reminder for for all of us, myself included. Um, Talk to me about time. I know that you're engaged, uh, which is really Mm -hmm. exciting. Uh, So you've got somebody extra special in your life, um, probably other (laughs) friends that you like to hang out as well. And then making time for yourself just to have a little bit of quiet occasionally is a good thing. How do you do all of this amidst also being a professional photographer? It is not easy. (laughs) Um, In Colorado, our season is basically May to October. Okay. Like this year I did I am almost done with the season, but uh, it'll be 32 weddings altogether this year Wow! in that time. And my fiance is very understanding. <laughs> he, he, we're both pretty independent. So he likes to do his thing when I'm doing weddings. Yeah. Um, so it works out, but in the winter we ski and I just try to spend as much time with him as I can. <laughs> That's cool. There's an understanding then like he knows yeah. this is a busy season and then this is where, where things can kind of calm down. Yes. He's very, very understanding for sure. Yeah. That's cool. I I think that that type of, I mean, we talk about the idea of managing expectations for our clients. Uh, In fact, this is something that has been a very serious discussion at Photographer's Edit, particularly as of late, the idea of Mm -hmm. proactively managing clients' expectations so they know what to expect from you. This really holds true when it comes to romantic relationships uh, or even just relationships with our friends and other family as well proactively yeah. managing these expectations saying, Hey, look, this is how it works. This is, this is what the season looks like. Um, I'm yeah. just going to be busy, but I I'm so excited about spending time with you during the slower times, creating yeah. that expectation up front is really important. And especially going into a marriage too. It's cool that you guys have that kind of already set up. Yeah. Yeah. And I do set boundaries. I, uh, I, I only do engagement sessions on Monday through Thursdays. Okay. So, um, any weekend dates that I don't have a wedding, I spend with him and I wake up super early in the morning so that by the time he is done with work, uh, I can just hang out with him. (laughs) That's great. That's really, really neat too. Um, and I love the proactivity, really the simplicity of that idea, but very much the proactivity there. That's, that's really, really cool. How'd you guys meet by the way? We actually met while we were watching The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was at a friend's house and he was her roommate. And yeah, I looked over and I'm like, wow, he's very handsome. And he's so shy. So I asked him out. <laughs> but yeah, 
it's uh I feel pretty lucky. He's he's a hot nerd, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What's his name? We should we should mention. His name's Christian. Christian, awesome. Well, congrats mm-hmm. to you and Christian both and and Thank uh, you. that's that's really exciting stuff. Talk to me about your uh, favorite business book, maybe self-help book. What's something that's made a really big impact in your life? So right now, I am going through it's an audiobook but I want to get the hardcover book so that I can just like write in it but yeah. it's uh it's called Retrain Your Anxious Brain huh. by John Tismill I cannot say his last name but, <laughs> okay no worries but um it's for life and for business I know that I'm not alone because I've talked to other photographers about this you know, when you don't hear back from clients, like where your brain goes, like, oh my God, they must hate the photos. Like just all this, all these things. This book basically gives you the tools to stop thinking that way and stop catastrophizing everything. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. You mentioned this. I was just thinking about this yesterday. I I know that I've functioned at way too high a stress uh, or to get a little geeky cortisol level uh, for way too many years. And I think there's been a pretty significant impact on my health mentally, uh, as well as physiologically. And I'm at least trying to deal with the physical piece. Um, I have a lot of work to do on the mental piece too. But it, it's it's interesting how if, if you look at the way that we're wired, and I think it's pretty common pop culture knowledge now, you know, the, this kind of fight or flight um, response that our body can have in mm-hmm. in response to stress, just general stress, that it, mm-hmm. a lot of times in 2019 American culture, we have a tendency uh, to respond to a situation that's, that may be stressful, uh, but at the level of stress, like our body's response as a result of where our mind is, is treating it as though somebody's about to kill us, like they're wielding yeah. an axe or something. And we, mm-hmm. we raise that anxiety level up way, way, way too high. And there are various reasons for that. But it, it's it's just kind of a reality of our culture these days. I was literally yesterday thinking about this and trying to put this in perspective as I was dealing with some pretty stressful things, uh, mm-hmm. and and trying to just k- kind of keep myself calm and asking essentially asking my, myself the question: Am I am I about to get hurt? Is somebody about to kill me? No. <laughs> the, the answer, very simply, to either of those questions is no. I'm I'm going to survive this situation, and nobody's trying to to physically hurt me or my loved ones. And so there's no reason for me to be responding with the level of stress that I am. I can take it down five or six notches. Um, And that's just a little bit of self-awareness. But like, what was the, what was the reason, first of all, for reading this book and how have you been implementing it in your life? I am a very stressed out person. (laughs) I always have been this way. And my fiance, he's the only partner I've ever had that can handle it. (laughs) Mm. You know what I mean? Like the people that I was with in the past, they tried getting me on pills and Uh. just like could not handle the stress. And yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I definitely take it to a place. Like, I guess I make up stories in my head about what's going to happen. Like, yeah. So I don't know. (laughs) That's kind of what spurred getting the book uh, for sure to kind of just like get new thoughts and new perspectives on things. Mm. Yeah. It reminds me, um, I, I talk a lot about Tony Robbins in the podcast cause I've, I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a result of the ideas, the principles that he teaches. But one of the mm-hmm. things that, that he talks about is the significance of the stories that we tell ourselves, the way that we frame something. And it really yeah. is, I mean, even that kind of self-talk yesterday for me was reframing 
the the scenario in my mind telling a different telling myself a different story because it really is easy to build that thing up in, a, in yeah. our head um this sounds like a really interesting book are there certain things that you've begun to do as a result of what you've learned are you still kind of in the you said you're in the middle of the book right now right yeah yeah so it basically tells you all the reasons why you would be anxious about something okay. and yeah it's really eye-opening the examples they give um, it was, it's, I almost feel like he wrote the book just for me. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't really started implementing anything. That's why I want to get the book that you can write notes in. Yeah. I think that would really help me. Yeah. There is something about being able to kind of, well, first of all, just the, the tangible process of holding a book. Um, it's not something yeah. I do very, very often anymore either, but hearing the ideas, like I, one of the things that I really enjoyed, uh, I, there's an author named Michael Singer, who mm-hmm. talks about, um, I, I've mentioned on the podcast a number of times, he wrote a book called The Untethered Soul, and it deals with kind of addressing or not addressing, not giving the significance that we normally do to the so-called voice inside our head. Um, and he uses yeah. that as well as as kind of a, a launching point to, to talk about the idea of meditation. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed walking and listening to him as an author. Um, it was inspiring and encouraging and invigorating. But then you yeah. do want to be able to kind of write take notes and write something down so that you can then go do something with it. So I, I understand that idea of, of wanting the tangible, maybe we can do a, another episode at some point. You can give us a book report, <laughs> let us know more about what you've learned. Because I, I know that this idea of anxiety, I mean, you hear the word anxiety so mm-hmm. much in our culture these days. Um, and, and again, there are various reasons for that, but there are different ways, very practical, simple, uh, in some cases, ways that we can go about addressing it. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it would be great to hear hear what you've learned uh, from the book. Yeah. And it's crazy because when I'm shooting, that is when I'm not anxious at all. That's yeah. when I'm like completely calm. Yep. I'm like such a calming presence for my couple because uh, I'm so in my element. But everything else in my life, <laughs> uh, yeah, the cortisol levels are a little high. Well, you know, that's a great and, – and certainly I'm not a psychologist, but uh, – it's an, it's what you just described is a really great example of how where we put our focus, not only the story that we tell ourselves, but where we put our focus affects anxiety levels. And it's very easy to to fixate on something, and then it just naturally snowballs because we're mm-hmm. we're just we're there thinking about it all the time. And by the way, I say this from personal experience. So, um, yeah. but but it's where we put our focus many times can help alleviate or encourage anxiety, one or the other. And that level of self-awareness enables us to make the change, to redirect our focus, and to, to kind of help alleviate the stress levels that we're feeling. And, and I say that um, for our listeners at large. I mean, this is it's a really important concept to keep in mind. Anxiety doesn't just happen to us naturally. You know, it's something that, that somebody has forced on us, I should say. Um, there, are, there are reasons, and mostly, if not completely, psychological reasons for that felt anxiety uh, and and. If that is the case, then we can look at what has led to those feelings. What is the root causes that, that have caused us to think a certain way and as a result feel and then act a certain way this, that, that is all tied to this anxiety that we're experiencing and we can make mm-hmm. change um, to, to address it. So I love that you're doing that proactively reading this book. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but everybody listening in, make sure to think about the story that you're telling yourself and think about where you're giving attention because that makes a massive difference in, in how we feel as well. Talk to me about mm-hmm. uh, photography, your camera bag. What's, what is something maybe a little bit outside the norm that enables you to be a better photographer? This doesn't have to be a, a camera body or a lens or mm-hmm. a flash. What comes to mind? 
So when I remember utensils, bringing utensils does come in handy because a lot of times when the caterers hand me food, there's no utensils. I have to wait an extra 10 minutes. Then we might <laughs> miss dinner. It yeah. goes right into toast. Yeah. And you know what? I am a better photographer if you feed me. So uh, yeah, if I remember to bring utensils, it's better. <laughs> so do you have like literally just like fork and spoon out of your, your drawer at home? Or do you bring like a pocket knife with f- fork and spoon on it? Like what's the, is there a fancy setup? Usually just like any, uh, you know, the plastic silverware they give you for takeout food. That's nice. like what I'll pack. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I'm curious because <laughs> I just saw a, a kind of a rant on Facebook yesterday about this very topic. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding clients and or caterers providing food for the photographer, um, hot meals specifically. Do you yeah. do you think that that is an absolute necessity these days? What what's your your take on that? Because it seems as though photographers kind of get a little bit, um, well, shall we say, angsty or or even annoyed or mad when they don't get to eat the same food as the client. And I've been a little bit confused by that. What's your thought? Yeah. So. I think I'm alone in this, but yeah, I don't really care. Like I'll eat anything. I don't have to eat what they're eating because <laughs> yeah. I know at a lot of hotels, they just give you like a sandwich and like a bag of Doritos. For me, it's, yeah, it's totally fine. You don't have to give me what they're eating, but I do need to eat something before we go into like toasts and dances oh, yeah. and everything. <laughs> well, I mean, the reality is if we're walking around as, and, and I know that there are weddings that I shot that, you know, lasted 12 to 14 hours. I mean, it's, you're, we're, we're expending quite a few calories. Um, so yeah. I don't want to minimize the significance of nutrition here, but I, I just, I'm still confused that the, the ego associated with that, like you, I deserve this and you should give me that. And I'm going yeah. to put it in my contract. I, there's an element of it that I understand for the sake, again, of nutrition. But at the end of the day, we're there to do a job. They're paying us to be the photographer and the idea that we're supposed to be treated as though we're a guest um, or a mm-hmm. wedding party member and be given the exact same food. I'm, I'm just a little bit confused by that idea. If, if the sandwich and the Doritos or whatever it is that, that we might get handed is not going to be nutritious enough or enough food period, then I think it's, it's good for the photographer to consider just bringing their own along, whatever that thing might be, whether it's granola bars or nuts or sandwiches or whatever the thing is, um, Mm -hmm. so that we have the nutrition that we need. But, uh, I just, I, I had to at least get your take on that since, since we were at that topic. But yeah. I, utensils, this is going to be um, maybe maybe Haley, who produces our show, can link to a couple of interesting options on Amazon <laughs> for all our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's transition, though, into what our, our primary topic is for the day. And um, speaking of, of being a little bit controversial, we're going to talk about the idea of leveraging debt for the sake of our business. And uh, I, I know that you would say it's not a bad thing to to go into to debt to get a business started. You do it again. And most of the conversations, as I alluded to earlier, tend to go the direction these days of, you know, don't go into debt, cash only. And I 100% understand the, the thought process behind that. But I'd love to get the other side of the conversation, too. So um, talk to our listeners and myself about why you feel like you needed to get a loan to get your business off the ground to begin with. Were you just not able to do it without extra cash? Yeah, I didn't have enough money. So I had been in 2015 when I looked into um, getting a loan. I had been in the restaurant industry for five or six years at this point. Okay. And I was shooting a few weddings, but I still had the kit lenses. So, you know, the bokeh wasn't very good. Uh, My computer was like way too slow to be editing 
you know, enough all the weddings that I wanted to shoot. Yeah. And yeah, just just the quality wasn't good enough. And also the few people that were inquiring with me were asking if I had a photo booth because they were interested in that too. So then I started to think that that would really um, provide a lot more value in my uh, wedding photography collections if I added that in. Okay. So that was kind of the catalyst for me looking into a loan because photo booths were super expensive. Now, I have to play devil's advocate for those listening in who might be asking this question internally. Was there a part of you that at least thought about the idea of shooting enough weddings so you'd have the cash on hand to then begin to buy the better equipment? Um, Or did you feel like in order to really take the business where it could go, looking at the way that your market was behaving, you had to go Mm -hmm. ahead and get that loan first thing? I didn't... I didn't think I was good enough to raise my prices back then. Interesting. So okay. it was crazy. I I put this collection in my pricing guide before I even had a photo booth. And it was 3200 for 10 hours of coverage on the wedding day, two photographers, an engagement shoot, and a photo booth for four hours that prints and everything. So I when I put that in, I actually... That was when everything kind of took off. Everybody got that collection. And then when that whole year was said and done, I realized I wasn't really making a profit. Mm. <laughs> but but that it got me out of the restaurant industry. Interesting. Okay. So because you were adding so much to the, I mean, $3,200, by the way, puts you beyond, I mean, that, that puts you in like the mid-range of the market. So that's not a small number. Mm-hmm. but you included so much with it that you weren't making enough money then to to actually go and purchase additional equipment. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. The photo booth, though I thought it could run on its own, it couldn't. So I needed a photo booth attendant okay. and the prints were like 70 bucks per event. Wow. Um, yeah. So it, <laughs> so yeah, the 3,200, it felt to me like I was finally like a mid-level uh, because before that I was only charging like 2000, I think. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think the numbers through very well back then. So I wasn't making a profit. So at this point you're like, all right, I need the cash. Um, and your Mm -hmm. first move was to go to a bank. What happened then? Yeah. I went to my credit union and I tried to get a loan and, uh, they sat down with me and basically said that my business wasn't old enough. It needed to be at least two years old for them to even consider giving me a loan. Ah. Um, so that's when they um, suggested a business card instead. So a business card, you mean a business credit card was there and they were just like, here's here's a business credit card and you've got this limit. Here you go and just hand it to you. Was it pretty simple? Yeah, they didn't give me a choice. They just... Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of gave me the one card that they offered okay. and it's was 0% APR for six months. After that, it would be 17.5% APR, Ooh. which I, I didn't know. I didn't know what this meant. I sure. just was happy they were giving me something. So I took it. And I, I know that you mentioned this to me ahead of time, but there was, I mean, you, so you had that 0% for six months and then you ended up transferring that debt to a second card that gave you the 0% for even longer, right? Yeah. So when the six months was up, I was what I thought was chipping away at the amount. But somebody told me, no, you're just paying the interest. And I was like, what? Uh, They didn't tell me that. So I think my mom is the one who suggested 
transferring that amount over to another card so that I could have 0% again for a while. So I uh, did a bunch of research. I ended up going with an Amex that had 0% for 15 months. So that gave me enough time to get everything together. Okay. So we're going to get to the getting everything together part here in a second, but if you don't mind sharing, what, what kind of debt did you end up going into? What, What kind of debt did you put on the credit card? Yeah. When I got the credit card, um, over the next three months, I racked up almost $20,000 in debt. Wow. Uh, it was just a couple hundred dollars short of 20K. Wow. Okay. So, and this was for camera bodies, lenses, uh, stuff for the photo booth. What all did you, what all went into that 20K? Yeah. Photo booth was 10,000. <laughs> and um, yeah, I got better lenses. I got a more reliable backup camera okay, uh, so that I would have peace of mind at the weddings and I got a faster computer. Wow. Okay. That, I mean, did it, the idea of 20,000 in debt and trying to figure out you know, how to make this, this work, it just seems like a really stressful situation. Were you stressed out? For some reason, I wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> it was like, I viewed it like monopoly money. Like, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Which, which is the very like thought process that a lot of people criticize when it comes to credit cards. So it's kind of funny, exactly. but, but yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a second part to this story too, which I want to get to because we're not, first of all, neither you or I, Jill are, are financial planners uh, and we're not mm-hmm. setting that expectation here. What I really wanted to do was to to let Jill share a different perspective on this topic, but Secondly, the last thing that we're doing here is to encourage people just randomly going into debt for no reason with no plan to, to then address that debt. And that's what I want to get to. So before we do, though, so you have this 20K in debt. How did this begin to make an impact in your business in a positive way? Because we would hope that you know, 20K in debt, that this is start to, to make a difference. So I was finally able to quit the restaurant industry because I was getting enough photo booth gigs. And I was booking this package that I thought was a lot of money at the time, but it was enough for me to quit the restaurant industry. Okay, The quality of my images improved a ton. And just having that peace of mind with the reliable backup camera was awesome. I, I mean, I would say that going into debt for the sake of my business really enabled me to go from an entry level photographer to a pro. Hmm. That's interesting. So, and, and when you say going from entry to pro, you're talking, and you mentioned the reliability factor, you talked about the quality of the finished image as a result of the better lenses. Are there any other elements of that idea of being pro that, that this debt enabled? Yeah. I mean, I was using the kit lenses, so the, the bokeh was terrible. The grain, it was so grainy. I mean, indoor photos were just absolute crap. So to me, those were not professional looking photos. Sure. And also back during that time, I think my average wedding was $2,000. So it wasn't enough to, you know, make a living. Mm. And then I was able to charge 32 with the photo booth. So uh, it, it bumped me up a little. Okay. So you're able to generate additional revenue too, which is a, I mean, that's, that is a, that's a massive step uh, as far as the success of your business is concerned, especially when costs are considered. So, but let's get back to how that debt was then managed because 20 K in debt, especially if you're only paying interests, which can happen many times uh, that, that debt can hang around for a while if you're not proactive about addressing it. So how did you go, what are some of the specific ways that you went about paying off that debt? 
Um, so I feel like you will spend as much as you make unless you really have a plan on what to do with your money. Um, I know that I'm that way. When I got that Amex, that's when I got a lot more serious with everything. And I told myself when this 15 months is up, I need the credit card balance to be zero. And so I just, I didn't think of any of the money coming in as mine. I, every two or three weddings, I would take that entire chunk of Mm. money and put it towards the card. Wow. So by the time that 15 months got there, it was, I had paid it off. Really? Wow. So that was within, so within 15 months, that's, that's a massive sum of money for somebody to pay off, especially simultaneously running a business. That's, that's a really incredible achievement. Yeah, I I was super frugal. I didn't travel at all during that time. I didn't buy any clothes. I didn't get my hair done or nails or anything. So, wow, just focused on putting as much of that money that you were bringing in as a result, by the way, of going into that debt back toward paying off that debt and and doing so in fifteen months. That's huge. Um, so what would you say just in a very practical level, because I, I I always like to make sure that we're leaving our listeners with some practical ideas, some takeaways from these podcast episodes, what would be the biggest lessons that you learned from this whole experience? I think the biggest lesson was that it takes money to make money. I mean, that was something that was told to me so many times and I believe it myself. I mean, so I, I guess I had too much pride to ask my parents for money mm. um, and they, you know, I couldn't get a loan. So credit card was a great option for me, for sure. Another lesson that I learned was to have a plan before you put something on your credit card that you can't pay off right away. Mm. I was lucky that I found that other card to transfer it to because otherwise that would have been, I mean, 17.5% is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And another huge lesson was for those huge purchases, like the photo booth, that was $10,000. If I had to do that again, I would have tested it out first. Okay. Because although it did generate a lot of income and was kind of the reason I was finally able to leave the restaurant industry and put all of my energy into wedding photography. So that was great, but it was a huge headache and a huge stress and I eventually got rid of it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So definitely test out those big purchases first. So when you, when you say it was a big stress, cause this is interesting. I know that photo booths have become quite popular and there are countless companies selling them. And um, mm-hmm. what was the big stress for you? There were so many technical issues. The very first event that I did, I couldn't get the printer to work. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it was so complicated to put together and so heavy. I threw my back out twice trying to get it into the trunk of my car. And there was only one person that I was able to trust to like put it together and run it. It was just too complicated for other people. I tried training like a bunch of people, but... Um, yeah, it was just, it was such a headache and yeah, a lot of, a lot of like drunk people at the reception would try to like tip it over oh. and pour beer down the printer and things. So oh, no, yeah. yeah, it was just, wow. It was so stressful. And <laughs> getting rid of it was the best thing that I ever did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I know in some ways it's not funny in other ways. I'm just thinking about somebody trying to pour alcohol down the printer. That That's just a funny picture in my mind for some reason, but that's funny. That's, it's also interesting because I wouldn't have considered that potential potential variable. I mean, the mm-hmm. idea, I guess, similar to you, I, I would think, man, the photo booth, it's an additional way for me to, to charge, you know, an a la carte 
uh, option with my business. I can make some extra cash and people are excited yeah. about them. They have a lot of fun, but yeah, they're, there are always, I'm, I, I tend to be way too simplistic in my thought processes and, and I don't think of some of the details and uh, drunk people pouring alcohol down the printer would definitely be a detail that I, that I would not have thought of. That's, that's interesting. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate the fact though, that, that you took something away from this and certainly have offered our listeners. I mean, first of all, the idea that it does take money to make money, um, this is a very common principle in business, and and some sometimes the best way to get a start is to borrow some money in one form or another, um, at least mm-hmm. the most efficient way to get a start. And um, so it's a good reminder for all of us. Having a plan for payoff, this would be the one that I would probably stress the most for for everybody listening to this episode. And I love that you that you demonstrated the fact that um, that not only I mean you, I, I know that you realize oh shoot I've got this credit card with an APR that's way too high I need to, to transfer it. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking about those details ahead of time is really important, but then putting a plan in place, even on paper, potentially for those listening in, if you're going to go into debt for something, have a plan in place for paying that off. Uh, and again, Joel is a great example of somebody who proactively just was like, I'm I'm putting all the other things aside and I'm paying this thing off as quickly as I can. And that, that's a great yeah. example for all of us. And then number three, test the big purchase first. That's a really interesting idea as well. And I can I can relate to this not so much with the cost of the purchase that you made with the photo booth, but mm-hmm. there are some there are times when I get really excited about an idea uh, for the sake of my business or otherwise, even my personal life. And I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta have that thing that or this is important. Or if I could if I could only have this, then I could do, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Um and then there have certainly been times when I've made the purchase and after the fact I'm like, oh. I mean, I've, either I didn't actually end up using it or it, it wasn't as impactful as I expected it to be or as I kind of played it up in my mind. So taking the time to actually test that big purchase or at least think through the scenarios, maybe with the help of somebody who's able to give you objective feedback, um, that's also a great practical recommendation. This is, this is an interesting conversation, Jill, and I really appreciate <laughs> you sharing your perspective, kind of the other side of the, the, the conversation, if you will with our listeners. And, and I have to get yeah. back to your work because I want you to share one more time where our listeners can find you, but your work really is beautiful. Um, lenses yeah. or other technique, whatever it is that's playing in here, um, your work is absolutely beautiful. And everybody listening in, make sure that you go follow Jill online, but Jill, tell them where they can fo- find you online, if you will. Yeah. Uh, my website is just jillhauser.com spelled like house with an R and then uh, on Instagram, it's Jill Hauser photography. I, I get the sense that you've had to explain that spelling a number of times. Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> an, I think the more popular spelling is H A U, but mine's O U. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Jill Hauser photography, Instagram, and then jillhauser.com, the website. And we'll link to both of these in the show notes. For those of you listening in, uh, make sure you go to Boca B O K E H podcast.com. You can see the show notes there. Uh, resources that we referenced today, links to those resources, talking points from the conversation. And if you use a podcast app that does have show notes, you can check out the show notes there as well. But Jill, thanks again for making time for the Boca Podcast community. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, 
parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.